now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in his presence blameless with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory majesty dominion and authority before all time now and forever what a powerful powerful word a good evening I feel good um, this is the goodest I felt for the past uh, 11 days and brother Anton despite that 24-hour storm sniffle <laughs> um, the past 11 days I was not feeling as well um, but truly I am God as we've been singing is good thank you for those songs of praise and reflection and meditation I wish I could talk to you and um, maybe more so of talking with you but let me scan your faces to see if that's safe to do. Thanks, Roxanne. <laughs> Have any of you ever been in a fight before? A fight. Okay, some were physical. How many have been in a verbal fight? Okay. How many of you have been, how many of you have been insulted? recently I think I was about 14 and I may have shared this with you now I'm sure you would agree with me it should not be the thought of anyone to want to pick a fight with me at age 14 right right why not because they may do irreparable damage to my ma child but it was my best friend who came to me during the break time at school and said that he is going to beat me up after school as we say clear out of the blue but I figured out what had happened because somebody else came by and said there was this other chap in school named Timothy we call him Timmy for short. Timmy uh, wanted some excitement after school, so he was setting it up. And so he went to my best friend, who we'd call Doogie. And Doogie came to me break time and told me, after school, he's going to beat me up. Just like that. I ain't do Doogie nothing. Well, I was a little taller than Doogie, you might guess. And um, after school, because he told me that at break time, which is approximately between 10.30 and 10.45, I think a lot of things had happened between that time and school being dismissed, so he had forgotten. But guess who didn't forget? Yes, Timmy. And so we had just walked about I suppose a mile away from school and the distance between school and my home was probably a mile and a half to three quarters. Um, so when Timmy remembered that there was no action as the whole group of students were going home, Timothy reminded Doogie that he said he was going to beat me up. And so Doogie came over and said, oops, by the way, Doogie was driving his car. I mean, we call it a, a hook, the inside rim of a bicycle. Um, that's what we use as we traveled um, to and from school. So Doogie pulled ahead, parked his vehicle, returned, and of course somehow the crowd already sensed that there is going to be some action. And immediately they formed a human ring. Isn't that interesting? Yes. 
Now, walking home, of course, is most of the island settlements. Most of the settlements are built on or near the sea. And so as we were walking, there was a little, we call mangrove pond that we were passing. And we were in that area of passing. Doogie came and stood in the front of me. No words, just action. This is the showdown. I should have been gun smoke, but I was unarmed. But as Doogie stood in front of me, Doogie looked, and of course, to me in the background with this smirk on his face, like, let's get it on. Well, without warning, Doogie just pranced, jumped, reached for my neck, <clears throat> this big neck of mine. And of course, I think his intent was to pull it down so he can probably put me in a headlock and of course, put me in a hole that will cause me to submit. Well, of course, you know, I have quick reflex. <clears throat> and so as Doogie grabbed for my neck, I reached for what I could reach for, which was probably his lower region of his body. <clears throat> we ended up being tussled to the side of the road because we were already on the side and we went over into the pond. Of course, there are senior students, we call the biggest students in the school, and they are just standing around, cheering, waiting for the first blow. Doogie, as we were stumbling off the road into the side of the road, into the pond, this I call a mango, muddy near the edge, and my new, well, I'm not sure it was new, shoes. I wear short pants <laughs> then. Um, but here I am standing, Doogie holding my neck, I'm holding around Doogie's waist, and then Doogie did something that was totally illegal in a fight. Because I said I was a little taller than him, Doogie opened his mouth and bit me on my big muscle right up in here, because of right here. So Doogie latched down on my arm. Wow. The, the pain that shot through my body almost made me uh, erratic because I, I couldn't punch him. He's too close because <clears throat> his head is right here. His body is close to me. So I had this marvelous insight. He's biting. Why don't you? Yes. <laughs> well, the nearest thing to me to bite was what? <laughs> his ears. Yes. I thought this is my opportunity to give him a free piercing. <laughs> and so I locked in on Doogie's left ear. And then at that point, of course, he had to open up his mouth to get a little scream out. <laughs> you know, and so when he did that, then there was this bigger boy. They, were, they should have stopped this fight any earlier, but... Um, of course, they wanted to see some action himself. So, of course, then came Felix, one of these big boys, early guy. He came and he stopped the fight. Nobody has yet thrown a blow. Of course, I had all the DNA proof that Doogie had bitten me because I had all the prints, you know, uh, we can call CSI, that that was Doogie's teeth you know, on my forearm. Of course, I did draw blood uh, from the air. It was not centered, you know. My IT did do a little damage there. But that was the fight. I only had one fight in school. My sisters thought that before I fight, I used to get upset. Oh, well, I cried, they thought. Well, it was only tears. There was no vocal sound. That was my way of expressing my anger. But they thought that's being soft. But I was told that I had short temper or patience. And so here we are um, in this first fight that didn't last because there was no blows thrown. But there was some damage done, you know, both to my arm and to Doogie's ear. I told you Doogie's my best friend. This was a Friday. I remember that distinctly. Because Saturday, Duke and I usually hang out together. Now, what am I going to do Saturday? Because Doogie and I are tight, but now we just had a fight, so we ain't talking. And if I stay home, Mommy can find something for me to do. 
and I wouldn't be living up to my name as Wandering Boy. So I need to get out of the yard. And so I stayed out at the front of the yard. Doogie lived up the street from me his, with his grandparents, and they were sending him past my house to pick up some lumber from an old house that they were had broken down and taking the lumber back up to their house. So I watched Doogie as I shot, shoot marble to myself. I saw him coming. I would not look up because I know he's going to pass, you know, see him, you know. And I don't want to stay in the yard long because, as I said, my mom will soon call me to find some chore for me to do. But if Doogie and I get out of here, we can head for the bushes or out to the bay or someplace out of earshot so that when mom calls, I would certainly have a legitimate excuse to say I didn't hear you because I wasn't there. But after Doogie would have passed me about three or four times, I decided this is ridiculous. I have to make the first approach and tell Doogie, I said, Doogie. He almost was waiting for the, for the call, so he said, huh. I said, let's be friends. He said, okay. Maybe no big deal, but, but, but you know. And so I said, how much lumber do you have to carry from down here? He said, well, I'll get maybe, I don't know, maybe 10 or 12 pieces left. I said, I said what are you doing after that? Nothing. That was his chore. So I said, as soon as we finish that, so if I help you with that, and then I take that up to your grandma's house, as soon as we finish, we can go play. Yeah? Good. We did that right over that Saturday. The next week, everything's smooth. No problem. No major war. That was the fight. But you told me a while ago when I asked it, you've also been insulted. Now, I was asked to monitor the chairs at a sporting event, and our school was competing against the other schools in the district. And my responsibility was to make sure the chairs that we bought from our schools were for our teachers or students to sit in when they would have completed an event. So that was my responsibility. But there was this girl from Losang Andras. She wanted to sit in one of our chairs. And they were just stacked up, and I was the superintendent of chairs. And so when she came over, she says, let me, uh, can I give, give, uh, let's not let me, just give me one of them. I said, no, you, you can't sit in this. You're from Lausanne. The girl look at me, you know, and you think she ain't cuss me? She insulted me. She called me poor, bony, um, and she wasn't very polite, you know. She was loud. And then what I suppose attitude, some of her, well, I suppose her classmates and other students from her school, and we were competing against them, of course. You know, they came by and they laughed. You know, I, I, I don't know what to do. My responsibility was to keep the chairs for the students of our school, not low sound. I have a master point, you know. We, you know but this girl wanted a chair. I said, no. And she let me have it. She called me names and the rest of her school, and nobody from my school was there, you know, to say, hey, leave him alone. So I was insulted. She called me all them names, and I'm wondering, is these chairs worth it? Mom, take these chairs and walk away. No, but I maintained it. But I felt bad about that. And you say you've been insulted. In recent times, you have been told. Uh, we had several messages with, um, from that dude named Jude, uh, Pastor Lee was uh, sharing with us about contending for the faith. You do remember that, right? Say yes, good. All right. What I want to encourage you with this evening is what Peter says in chapter, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. It talks about putting aside or set aside Christ in your heart. If you get that straight, that's good. I like to think of it in terms of know who you are, know whose you are, and then after that, bring it on. Whatever comes, let it come. But set aside Christ in your heart, always, and then be ready 
be ready to make a defense to everyone that asks you to give an account of the hope that is in you and do so yet with gentleness and with reverence. I, I wish to, to thank you for being here, especially against the backdrop that God in his sovereignty has brought to the Bahamas and more specifically Paradise Island from 80 plus countries, 80 of the most beautiful women in the world. And so tonight is Miss Universe pageant. And so, and you are here. Thank you. <laughs> All right, so we won't be finished until 9.30. <clears throat> I want to thank you for, for being here, and I want to encourage you, and this, if you looked at the bulletin, I want to say this, and again, to tie this into what Pastor Lee was sharing with us from Jude, and a little about what uh, uh, Pastor Terrence mentioned this morning. There are persons out there in the world who are using the Bible and taking it out of context. I want to make sure that we are aware of that on a daily basis. No excuses. We must be able to detect when we hear error. And when someone asks, as Peter has admonished us here, when someone asks us to give them a reason for why we believe as we do, I want us to be quick to tell them, to do so gently, though, and with reverence. Most of you know that I am very uh, um, passionate about sharing the gospel or, or sharing with Jehovah's Witnesses. In my early encounters with them, I was not very gentle. All right, um, and maybe some of you have been there, maybe some of you are there. But I would unload every scripture, double barrel, dump everything on them, and when they would say, well, thank you very much, we will be leaving now. I said, oh, no, hold on, hold on, don't move so quickly, what about this? <laughs> and um, they would smile a while and give their face a rest, but then I would quote another scripture, and I'd say, well, well, didn't you, you came to me. Usually that's the case, isn't it? And so why are you walking away? I don't think that's very polite. <laughs> you know, and so as they moved from the door, I would follow them to the sidewalk, to the street, walk them down maybe a block, still adding scripture to theirs, you know. Um, and basically what I'm saying is take that, you, <laughs> and take that scripture and keep doing and then afterward, I'd wonder, what, so what happened at the end of all of that? I probably felt good, but then I didn't do what I was hoping to do. I wanted them to see the truth. But what, in fact, really I was doing, you know, was not doing that at all. They would meet again, and I have learned that since, and because I've been looking at them more closely. And so when they met at the hall again, they would mark me, watch it with that tall one. You live through that corner. By the way, they do keep track of you, just in case you don't know, if they come to your house based on your response. All right, they might revisit. Um, some of you do tell children that you're not home while you're at home, <clears throat> or you be, pretend to be a prisoner in your own home. You turn up or down the music or the radio when you see them coming. You know, say, shh. If they ring the bell, nobody move, nobody get hurt. <laughs> you just be quiet. That's your new one out. You know, I have reversed that on them. So when they ring the bell, I said, good, I was waiting for you. They didn't expect that. I said, I just have one question, because they're peddling something. I have a question. I said, by the way, are you a Christian? We are Jehovah's Witnesses. Thank you. So, so, so are you a Christian? Are they the same thing? Yes. Okay, I, I, I have one question. You think stuff these days, eh? Yes. 
the Bible tells us that these last days. I said, uh, um, what I'm interested in one thing, eternal life. Could you tell me how to get there? They said, well, in John chapter 17, verse 3, 11, and they'll go in the bag and they'll pick it up and they'll read it to me. And once they finish reading, I say, well, this is amazing. I said, so, so you have it? And they said, no. I said, what? I ask you for one thing, that how I can get eternal life. You showed me how I can get it, but you ain't get it yet? I said, what happened? You know, you sound, you sound something wrong. This mechanic, I take my car to the mechanic and he don't fix car. But he get the sign up saying that he repairs car. You know, I said, so, you, 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 you serious? But it's to engage them at that level. You know, and then move on. Because really, I really want to talk to them about Christ. Because if I get that straight, then that, the rest of the other stuff are periphery. Who is Christ? Are you able? Now, when it is as clear as that with somebody who may believe something totally different than what we believe, that's probably easy to give a reason or a defense. But there are those who mix truth with error, that is a little bit more difficult to detect. Most people know I do not like pumpkin. And my, a friend of ours invited us over for lunch, Brother Joe. And I ate it. It was delicious. And at the end, they gave us dessert. And I ate it. And then they asked me at the end, what was that I ate? I don't know what it was. Then they smiled, and they told me that was pumpkin. I said, no, I don't eat pumpkin, so I did not eat that. They laughed. They said, yes, that's pumpkin, their style. They disguised it because I, it wasn't what color is pumpkin. Orange looking. I'm used to it orange. This one had a brown thing to it. And I ate it. It was delicious. <laughs> but I still don't eat pumpkin. I told her from now on I'm not eating from her unless I take the food to the lab. <laughs> then they will tell me there's no pumpkin in it. You know, because I don't, I don't do pumpkin. But I was straight. Sometimes when we hear scripture or person... If you listen to... Um, Three ABN that comes on, on some st television. What channel that is? 53, 2, 3. Okay. They are beautiful music. Oh, they will sing you happy. Yes. Great worship music. But what else do they say? Especially because there's always someone speaking. And they will say some things that are true. And then, but if you are unaware, they will also say some things that are not true. I want you not to be caught off guard and to swallow the whole thing hook, line, and sinker. You're familiar with those persons who come very well dressed, very neat, very polite, as most of those persons who come knocking at your door. And they will engage you in a discussion. And they use the same language, so they have down what we say, the lingo. And you would think that their belief or their core beliefs are identical to that, to that, that, that to us. But that is not the case. I'm talking about Mormons. Do we have any in Nassau, New Providence? You ever encountered any of them? Mm -hmm. uh, um, Latter-day Saints. You ever watch those beautiful commercials on TV that talks about relationships, marriage, and then they say, this is brought to you by, you know, who? The Latter-day Saints. Wonderful, wonderful. I've talking about marriage and other stuff and how to care for parents and how to care for our children. And you say, they're so nice. It's so appropriate. say, yeah, that's the way to go. While I was minding my own business, sitting down while my wife and children leave me outside, they go on shopping once upon a time. 
I was sitting on the bench, and these two young men came up to me, and my family don't like me to engage all the time because this could be extensive, long, and everybody know I'm not long-winded. Long-legged, yes. Long-winded, maybe, depending on what we're talking about. And so the two men came up to me and says, of course, very polite, it was mid-morning, so they said, good morning. Good morning, yeah. Of course, I always try to give a nonchalant attitude. So what? You know, and they says, well, and they opened the question, so uh, are you living in the area? Well, area, that's relative. You know, if I'm in Fort Lauderdale, <laughs> you, know, <clears throat> you know, I didn't answer directly. You know, I said, um, so were you selling something? But you didn't have, you had, of course, you had a bag. But he wants to engage, so he asked, um, well, we, we are uh, from Latter-day Saints, and we are, I think call them elders, the elders. So I said, um, well, maybe if I have a question for you, can I have a number that I can call you? you know, I, I don't remember which hotel number I was, so it's, I reversed. Give me your number. They were reluctant. I found that strange to give me their number because I wanted to engage them later. Or when I would have gotten back, yeah, I, would have got, I would probably call them from the hotel, get some other kind of address, and then communicate with them um, long distance. But I'm always looking for the opportunity to engage them as to find out what it is they believe. And if they ever say that the Bible is their authority, then I will hold them to it or hold their feet to the fire. But they are very subtle. As I said earlier, they will use languages that are similar to that that we use. And sometimes those persons who are unaware can easily be caught off guard. For example, have you heard that you can become God? How many of you knew that? You can aspire to and reach Godhood. You didn't know that. And here you are. It's amazing. Yet, those who proponents or followers of or Latter-day Saints, Mormons, they believe that. And guess where it came from? They were quoting Satan. Did he say something like that to Eve? And that's the reference that they use in Genesis. But they believe that you can eventually become God. But they won't put that on that commercial on TV. Have you heard about the serpent seed theory. What was the first, or what was the sin of Eve? Mormons have a view. But there's another group. Have you heard about the oneness Pentecostal movement? They have followers here in the Bahamas. Have you heard that um, Cain was, well, the, the sin that Eve committed was to have an illicit sexual relationship with the serpent. Yeah. But you won't find that out on the surface, discussion with them. So who do you think was Cain's daddy? The serpent, according to them. Amazing. Do you know that in the Bible, polygamy is justified? You say, what? No, it isn't. But the Mormons use that, and they will find a scripture to suggest that. And when you read the scripture and the context and the other scriptures, we can easily refute it. But when they're telling it to you and they will say some things that are true and then slide in something right underneath it that is not, and if you're not aware, you can end up coming away from that encounter, either confused or prepared to believe differently. And our purpose is to make sure that those persons who attend Calvary are well grounded in the truth. I want to just review some of them with you this evening. Um, rather quickly, without much commentary, in Genesis chapter 1, 
verse 1, these first four words. In the beginning, God. I believe that that is foundational. If you believe those first four words, really believe them, then I believe that everything that follows afterwards, you're in a good place or good stead to believe the rest of the scriptures. In the beginning, God. When the beginning began, God was there. God was. God was there. Between verse 1 and 2, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the water. There are some that believe that between verse 1 and 2, that millions of years occurred. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth, verse 1. And what took place after that? They said right after that, Satan was thrown to the earth. And all the chaos began. That's why earth, verse 2, was in such a mess. That's called the gap theory. And there was a proponent of that called a sleeping prophet. There's one, Edgar Casey, who I was a proponent of that in the early days. But there are still some conservative Christians today who believe that and call it the reconstructionism in terms of the earth had to be reconstructed. And so what we are following, verse 2, is God reconstructing again. So there's really two sets of creation account. Mormons, and I want to go there for, for a moment briefly so you can get a background as to what took place here. Mormonism, as, uh, as you or Church of Jesus Christ or the Latter-day Saints, Joseph Smith, he sounds like a Bahamian name, eh? But a lot of these other people are like um, Joseph Smith. You know Mr. Russell from Abaco? <laughs> Charles Russell. Um, Joseph Smith, who was born about two days before Christmas in 1805, he is the founder of Mormonism. And he claimed that he was visited by an angel named Maroney. Has anything to do with that car deal in Miami? <laughs> anyway, he was visited by an angel Maroney who informed him that the true gospel had been corrupted after the apostolic period or after the apostle would have died out. So for the past 19 centuries or so, there was no true gospel. That's the background. Unless you know that, when the Mormons come, or the Christians of the Church of Christ of Latter-day Saints, if you don't know a little about their history, they won't necessarily reveal that to you up front. But it's good to ask them about it. By the way, they have their own scriptures that they believe is equally um, reliable or as inspired as our scriptures. But to those of us who might not be aware, it is possible for those persons to sway us otherwise. But this same Genesis in Galatians chapter 1, 8 to 9, that says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel other than what we have preached to you, a curse be on him, as we have said before. And I say again, if anyone preached to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, a curse be on him. Joseph Smith, just so you can get a background here, and he was a relatively young person. He was a teenager when he had this vision that he says this angel Maroney told him that the true gospel had been corrupted and has been absent from the earth for 19th century or so. And so he is now to come up with the correct, true gospel. And so he had a group of persons who obviously followed him. The short of it is that um, he was in one section of the, the U.S., was in Illinois, pushed out, moved, didn't like harassed, moved. He and his brother, Hiram, thrown in jail. People were upset, break into the, well, forced themselves like a vigilante group, and shot Joseph Smith and his brother. 
So their followers see them as martyrs. You ever heard about um, Brigham Young University? Mormon? Brigham Young was considered the first president after Joseph Smith. And he did a lot to propel the organization. But it's important that if for us to, to give a defense, as Peter asked us, to always be ready to give a defense. It's important that you know what it is they teach so that you can maneuver, not necessarily around it, but you can point to it and show the error and the inconsistency as it relates to scripture. But several things, but they will use, for example, um, Galatians 1, 8 to 9. I think when we use it properly, we will show them that if, as Paul says, if anybody, if we or any angel come with a different gospel, they are to be a curse. Well, I think Maroney falls in that category. And so would be Joseph Smith and his followers. Be aware. Be aware. There's something else, something about the, the moments. And in, in, I mentioned earlier with uh, Genesis. In fact, Genesis 3, 5, the, they believe that you can aspire to become God. And, and the reason why they say that is, uh, you remember Satan again speaking to, to Eve, tells her that if she eats the fruit from the tree, she will not really die, again questioning the integrity of God. But instead, you know, her eyes will be open, and she'll be just like God, knowing truth. Well, be careful who you quote. They, again, will not necessarily tell you that up front. But if you're aware of it, it gives you an advantage in terms of posing a question to them. I mentioned earlier to you with polygamy. Guess which verse they use for that? They will say, may I see your Bible? Let me show you why polygamy is justified. Genesis chapter 4, verse 19. One verse. Lamech took two wives. By the way, Brigham Young had 25. Um, just for the record. <laughs> Lamech took two wives for himself, one named Ada and the other named Zillah. And they said, see, see, this there is a man in the Bible who had more than one wife. And they neglect to look at the other references, the many references in scriptures that tells that polygamy is wrong. In other words, that monogamy is what God expects. So, you need to point them to Proverbs 5. You need to point them to Malachi chapter 2, Matthew 10, 1 Corinthians 7, 1 Timothy, etc. But you won't know that unless you're aware of what the Bible actually says regarding this. Also, I, I want to, let, let me do this with you. There was um, yesterday, Saturday, how many persons do you believe that when you're dead, you are unconscious? You do not exist anywhere else. Well, let me rephrase the question. Do you believe that when you die, you are conscious someplace else? You, you do? And you can find a scripture to support that. Wasn't it somewhere that says to be absent from the body, you will be present some so that means, like right now, you're present in the body, I hope, <laughs> right? But when you leave this body, you should be someplace else, conscious, right? Do you remember someplace in the Bible, I'm not calling the name even though it might be in the last book of the Bible, where these people were, were saying, and they're like the voices were under the altar, and they were crying, Lord, how long, you know, before you avenge our death. And, these, and they're already dead, and they're talking. Now, have you met somebody who's talking who's dead? In real life. Now, some people say they will pass out, Sister Betty, you know. But it, Scripture is clear. Paul says it in different ways. But to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Yet there are those who believe that that is not so, that you are unconscious. No, you don't have any consciousness of anything. 
Yesterday, there's this man named Kenneth Cox. Sound like he's from South Bahamas, right? Was it Acklands or Crooked Island? The Cox. Yeah, South Bahamas. Well, he is an Adventist. The Adventists do not believe that you are conscious when you die. Do you know that? Um, do you know that what they believe regarding hell? There's a gentleman that came on yesterday that says, I don't remember his name, but um, he says, well, his topic was the good news about hell. You know, he can tell you how many persons are in hell right now. Um, he can tell you what size it is. How many of you know what size it is? Y'all ain't know nothing. This man was on TV yesterday. He tell us, you know, you, you are watching the wrong station. I mean, if you know where it is, he could even find it. As a matter of fact, he's been there. Not y'all Oh, y'all watching Miss Universe. Okay. Um, <clears throat> but his whole message was earth itself, the entire earth is hell. He said the circumference of hell is 25,000 miles. The whole earth will be burned up. And this idea about people being tormented and thrown in hell forever, what kind of God is doing that? he got to be cruel to do that. So they do not believe that there is such a thing as where the wicked will be tormented forever. How could a loving God do such a thing? Again, if you're paying attention, the music, beautiful, because they're singing those traditional hymns and beautiful music. And the words are true. Most that I would have listened to. But when they stand to speak or to teach, then you find some other things coming up. <clears throat> and it's important for you to be aware of that so that you can know how to, when the need arises, to give a reason for the hope that you have, to give a defense, and to do so, as we say in another way, to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Let me just point out a few things that they believe. But before I, I do, let me just say a little bit about the, the, their core belief. That is the SDA, Seventh-day Adventism. Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 to 12. This passage is the core of the Seventh-day Adventist belief system. And it's according to a convoluted and erroneous sort of interpretation. Here are the following points that they say are true. And I'm just going to list four of them. One, and if you're looking at that, you will, and for the sake of time, I won't read the, the verses. But again, in Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 through 12, here's what they say. By the way, it is also this same uh, passage is where they give the name for their broadcast, three, what? ABN, Angel Broadcasting Network. Because in Revelation chapter 14, we have three angels. Here's the points they make. One, the hour of his judgment has come. That's in verse 7. They say that that refers to the investigative judgment of 1844. By the way, just again, background. At some point in their early beginnings, there was a relationship between, there's a, a tie. Now, let me say, to be fair to, to them, that there's been a lot of change from 1844, as an example, to today's Seventh-day Adventists. They've changed a certain, quite a number, uh, significant changes in their belief system. But still, there are some core belief systems. Um, that are contrary to what we believe to be scripturally uh, sound. But there is a, a relationship between, because their founder and the person who's the founder of the Jehovah's Witnesses, they had a brief relationship. Both of them were scared of hell, you know, and rightly so. <laughs> um, but because of that, some of their, they, they had a split. And you may have heard about Millerites as well. But the first thing that they said about Revelation chapter 14, verse 6 through 12, was that the hour of his judgment has come. And they refer to this as the investigative judgment of 1844. You see, they believe that 
1844, taking from Daniel chapter 8, that Jesus should have returned back then on October, March 1st. And when he didn't show up, they said, and of course, people sold their land, property, and some of them were dressed in white on D-Day, waiting for the big picker-upper, I mean, taker-upper, you know. And since it didn't happen, they said they maybe miscalculated it, so it might be a year off. So they put it for the following year. And they call it the year of the great disappointment. You know, and so it said, but then somebody came back. You've heard about, is there a female involved in the Seventh-day Adventists? Do you know her name? Christian scientists. Ellen G. White. Ellen G. White. The investigative judgment say from that point, say Jesus, yeah, they said, yeah, he did come, but not to earth. He just changed apartments in heaven. You know, and so he started now doing his investigations to find out which Christians are really entitled to get eternal life. And so he's, Jesus is doing his investigative judgment at that point. Started in 1844. Two, verse 7 still in, in uh, Revelation 14. Worship the maker of heaven and earth. They say that this is a call to observe Saturday as the Sabbath. Three, Babylon the Great has fallen, verse 8. They say that this identifies the Roman Catholic Church as the notorious prostitute who seduces the nations. Four, if anyone worships the beast and receive a mark on his forehead or on his hand, verse 9, they say that this is a warning against following the Antichrist and worshiping on Sunday. Those who refuse to heed the warning will be tormented with fire and sulfur. Really, you will be annihilated between verses 9 through 10. According to their teaching, people, only people who embrace then the Seventh-day Adventist teaching or message will be saved. So those of you who show up on the first day of the week, we sometimes call Sunday. You are in direct violation of verse 9 in Revelation chapter 14. So you will not be, when the investigation is complete, you'll be surprised to know that you will not be saved. Let me hear something else. Right in Revelation chapter 7, again, Seventh-day Adventists. They hold that the testimony about Jesus also identified as the spirit of prophecy. They say that this is to mark of the remnant of the true church and finds its fulfillment in their founder, Madam White. And, she said, and it said that she is God's final end-time prophet who spoke by the spirit of prophecy. Now, some other research about some of the stuff that Ms. White wrote revealed that she has at least maybe more than 50% of all the stuff that she wrote, she borrowed from somebody else or other writers, or she plagiarized their work. That's some of this stuff there. Here's something else as well, um, and you might be, what are you familiar with with respect to the um, Adventists? I have some very close friends who are uh, Adventists, and so when we do sit down and talk about some of these things is always an interesting time. Exodus chapter 31, 12 through 17, uh, without again reading all of that. And then not only them, but you have some other Sabbatarian sects. And so the fourth commandment, they believe, is an eternal decree to be observed by all throughout the ages. And since the Sabbath is a Saturday, Sabbatarians deduce that Christians should be worshiping on the seventh day of the week, not the first. Of course, this passage was not addressed to the church, but to the children of Israel. Being under the new covenant, Christians are free from the law of Moses. And if again, we can look at, Rev at Romans chapter 6, verse 14. I'll tell them, look at Romans, and I ask them to read it, and then please explain it and how they interpret it. 
chapter, Romans chapter 14, verse 5. Would you slide over to Galatians, I might ask, chapter 3, verse 24. The primitive of the early church worship on the first day of the week. I asked them how come. Acts 27, 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1, 2. That is something they need to answer. The Seventh-day Adventists again. In uh, Leviticus chapter 16, 4 through 10. They view the passage as pointing to Satan. Now this is strange, but you may not again in your dialogue with them or if you do dialogue with them. Be aware of this. Leviticus chapter 16, 4 through 10. They view this passage as pointing to Satan as the end-time scapegoat who takes away the sin of God's people. You know what that sounds... It means then that we have two redeemers, right? Jesus Christ and Satan. You, if you are aware of this and you bring this to their attention, if you say it the way I've just said it, they will object. But in fact, that's what they teach. While Christ pays for the believer's sin, Satan is the sin bearer, <laughs> scapegoat, who is to be punished for them. But as we said, the scripture is clear. It teaches that Jesus alone is the one that makes atonement for sin and removes sin from us, as far as the east is from the west. I'll say again, please would you read for me Psalm 103, if only that, and verse 12, and tell me what it says and how you arrive at your conclusion. They believe, as I mentioned earlier, that when the humans die, their bodies go into the grave, they remain there unconscious until the resurrection day. Again, ask him one reference. Would you please read Revelation 6.10? Tell me what it says, where are these people at the time that they are speaking? My friends, my brothers and sisters, these are the people, maybe more so, these are not the persons who stand in stark contrast to what it is we believe. These are the people who, as I mentioned earlier at the beginning, use the same language. They sing the same songs that we sing. And in some respect, believe some of the same core doctrines that we believe. But also be aware that there are also some things that we believe are directly opposed to what scripture we believe to be teaching. And that is their belief system. We cannot be in a position to give a defense we will not be able to successfully uh, contend for our faith if we are not aware of what it is they believe. But before you find out what it is they believe, it's important that you are so grounded in what you believe. Know what you believe and make sure what you say you know and what you believe is grounded and rooted in Scripture. Only then will I believe you will be successful and able to defend and give a reason for the hope that you have in Christ Jesus, is that to be aware of these entities, these groupings that are populating our communities and doing so very effectively. I think at my last count, and sometimes I, I count because I go and ask and check out source from their own uh, um, uh, information source in terms of the number of people, and it's always intrigued me to find out that these persons who, uh, they are, who are joining these groups, when you ask them, were you always um, a Latter-day Saints? Or were you always a Mormon? No, your parent? No. Well, they, somebody came and shared with me. Were you always an Adventist? No, I was a Baptist or something else. And, um, and they came, and then so my eyes were open. <laughs> and so the truth was revealed. And so I started uh, attending their Bible lessons, taking their uh, lessons that they sent um, by mail, and then started visiting. And so here I am 
today. And so they're, in a sense, are proselyting, taking persons off, picking people off who are, as we say, in churches. But how well grounded they are in the truth is another matter. I want us here, the local body of believers here at Calvary, to be well informed. There's no excuse. Read the book. Study Paul admonished Timothy. Study to show thyself to prove so that you will certainly be a worker that need not to be ashamed so that you can rightly divide and then disseminate truth as God reveals it to us through by his Holy Spirit. And so, my brothers and sisters, we're not talking about some of those Eastern religions that we can say, nah, Buddhism, they may have some concept about Muslim, we know how they think, you know what they think about Jesus. You know, um, the oneness, for example, believe in modalism or modalism where there's only one being in the Godhead. There's the Father, we say the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but they're all the same person. And they believe at one point the Father comes like a stage and he get, does his part and he goes behind the curtain and then Jesus comes out, but it's the same person. And then he disappeared, and right now, today, the Holy Spirit is on stage acting, but it is still one person. And if you understand that that is contrary, because there are so many passages in the Scriptures where the Holy Spirit, the Son, and the Father are mentioned in the same verse. You don't have to be going to different verses to prove otherwise. And simply asking them, would you please read that? What do you understand that to say? How many persons are mentioned here? Clearly, you know. Now, of course, we do believe that the enemy has this ability to dupe blind people. So even though when they're reading it, they will still deny it because someone told them earlier, even though I read it and that's what it says, but we were taught something different. That point I ask that you pray for them because it's not how persuasive you are or how eloquent you are with your speech or your dialogue with them, but this is all the work of the Holy Spirit. And so never believe that you have mastered the content so much that you do not need the Holy Spirit. So I encourage you, as my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, to be aware, because there are persons out there who will twist Scripture. And if you're not aware or know Scripture straight, you know, um, if you don't know, they will very subtly twist it. And you may come away with um, an understanding that is contrary to the truth. And as a result, based on your understanding, you behave consistently with what you believe. But if you believe error, then you act in error. And we want to avoid that as much as possible. And so I encourage you to read. Study your Bible. God has spoken to all of these issues, and he's given us a defense that we can use. So I encourage you to use it and then put it into practice as God provides the opportunity for you. I tell my wife, if you see me go out on a Saturday morning and I don't come right back home, call the hospital. If I'm not in the hospital, I'm talking to a Jehovah's Witness. There's only two reasons, you know, because I would find an excuse to stop and talk, even if I have to open up my hood because I know they've been conditioned to stop. So that at least even if I don't do anything in terms of persuading them to see truth, at least I may detain them from passing on their error to some innocent other person because they're on a time constraint, you know, because they need to report back to the yard to regroup and conference at a certain point in time. So if I could detain you for an hour, Mr. Joan, that's fine with me. I'll do that, and I leave that up to the Holy Spirit. And if God provides for another opportunity for me to engage them again, I'll do that. I always leave my number. I leave my number with you. When they show up at your house, please call me, all right, and tell them um, if they can wait for half an hour. I think I can get to most places on New Providence in half an hour, all right? But I wish and thank you uh, for this opportunity. But again, please know that there are persons out there, and there are some established groupings, religious groupings, who might use the language that sounds very similar to ours. But in the midst of or underneath that, there are some subtle core things that are contrary to Scripture, as we understand it. But be aware. 
And that's what I want to share with you this evening. Thank you. Would you pause with me as we close? Our Father, we pause to thank you for who you are. We started off our time together this evening just reminiscing on just how great you are. And indeed you are. Indeed, we cannot find words, as Brother Tommy mentioned earlier, to adequately express our gratitude to you. Indeed, you are immeasurable. But nonetheless, we are the recipient of such grace, such mercy, such word, your living word that you've given to us. Thank you for it. Now, may we show our appreciation to you for your word by reading it, studying it, meditating on it. And as you enlighten us by the power of your Holy Spirit, may we look for opportunities. May we be sensitive to the opportunities you provide for us to share it with others. And when we hear error, we will put your lens of your scripture against the things that we hear or see in print. And then be prepared, as Peter has admonished us, to give a defense, to give a reason for the hope. Indeed, we want to be good contenders of the faith. Thank you for our time together. And now as we prepare to leave this place, very conscious that we will never leave your presence, we ask that you go with us and we will be thankful and mindful to give you all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.